Sam. Yeah, Don. What's the word? Pause. How do you spell pause? Postpone action until serenity enters. Where'd you hear that? I heard it through the grapevine. Welcome. It's the AA Grapevine Half Hour Variety Hour, featuring the collective voices of Alcoholics Anonymous. I'm Don, an alcoholic in Greensboro, North Carolina. Hey, Don. Hey, everybody. I'm Sam, an alcoholic in Palm Springs, California. Sam, what is your favorite AA acronym? I mean, the one that comes to mind often. You know, probably the one that was drummed into my head the most in the very beginning, and that was HALT. Oh, that's... Hungry, angry, lonely, tired. Yeah. Because if any one of those things shows up, that's what can turn me into a little bit of an irritable person that can cause problems. Yeah. That's the case today. When I was new in recovery, that irritability and such could lead to like, I don't want to feel this way. I'm going to get a drink. Right. And I had no idea what was leading to my irritability. (laughs) I'm... (laughs) I really didn't. And HALT was really informative. Yeah. To be able to run down that checklist. What What about you? Do you have a favorite? Yep. The one that got me is God, Good Orderly Direction. Oh, yeah. So we've got a list of acronyms here that we uh, cobbled together. And uh, God is on that. And I've put in there group of drunks. Yeah, that one comes up a lot. And that's very useful, too, because I struggled with the concept of a higher power. Mm -hmm. But good orderly direction really worked for me because when my mind's in turmoil, I ask God to direct my thinking. And that just I, I use that all the time. Yeah, I'm glad that you do that, because, I mean, your mind is kind of twisted. It needs to be good and ordered. (laughs) It's uh, sometimes I feel like a cork in a washing machine. A cork in a washing machine. <laughs> yeah, I'm getting I'm getting jerked around and bounced and buffeted. You have some of the, your your brain, I tell you. Um, okay, so tell me about fear. F E A R. False evidence appearing real. That's one way I've heard it put. Yeah. The other one, forget everything and run. I did hear a lot of conversation about fear, particularly in those early days. Yeah. And both of those were appropriate. You know, I mean, the second was an action that I was often do. I'm like, I'm done with this. I'm out of here. I'm uncomfortable. I'm gone. What is the one we had a guest say? Uh, that, that was yet. Oh, yeah, that's a great one. You're eligible too. Yeah. And that was just a few episodes ago, I think. Yeah. And that's what prompted us to like, hey, let's do some AA acronym banter. Yeah. Then I saw a post on Facebook for sponsor. And then I reached out to you and it's like, we've got to do this because some of these are just getting out of hand. It's It does get to be ridiculous. Get this. Okay, so I saw one on Facebook that says, Sponsor, sober person offering newcomers suggestions on recovery. <laughs> <laughs> That's all well and good, but is that useful? <laughs> now, sober is a favorite of mine because of Ruth B., in Greensboro, in my early recovery, and Ruth is gone now, but she was amazing. So here was this really advanced in age woman who was just so cool. And she would say, sober, son of a bitch, everything's real. 
And to see this respectable woman say that, I loved it. But also, staying off booze, enjoying recovery. I like that. I like that. We got it. We're a cussy bunch, aren't we? We are a cussy bunch. But I'm going to say now, for many, many people, the idea of being sober is to get to the place where you don't use profane language. For me, I find profane language to be very powerful. It's just words, but I don't want to offend anybody. So I try not to use it. But when I first came in, the fact that people were standing around laughing, talking about God and cussing was like, what is going on with this? It was attractive. It's like (laughs) this stuff, this doesn't make sense to me. So I find it to be very real, particularly when someone's expressing themselves in a real way. I'm not going to call them down, but just in everyday terms, I mean, I don't. Yeah, if I'm I'm peppering every other uh, thought with profanity, that's one thing. But if, if it's relevant to the point, I'll go there. What about this one, Sam? Q-tip. Oh, no. Quit taking it personally. Oh, I thought you were going to come after <laughs> me on that one. Well, maybe I am. <laughs> <laughs> I have not heard Q-tip. I like that. Yeah. Okay, slip. Sobriety loses its priority. You know, you can go on the internet and you can find one for anything. Anything. So you were going to make one up for Anonymous, did you? I've got one for you. Oh. In fact, this one is designed specifically for you, Sam. So really, Q-tip's not going to apply. I should take this personally. <laughs> no, you might need Q-tip. <laughs> Anonymous. All right. Never out loud. Name yourself Muscadine. Obviously uncouth, Sam. <laughs> Isn't that useful? Incredibly. I mean, for you. Incredibly. <laughs> I, Don, that's going to keep me sober today. Thank you. <laughs> You're so generous. I mean, the the way that you improve my life and my recovery is just boundless. Thank you. It's my pleasure, Muscadine. (laughs) Who's on the podcast today? Oh, good. We're changing the subject. Today's (laughs) guest is Maggie P. from Briarcliff Manor, New York. And we're going to get to know Maggie very shortly. Hey, Don, how can I support The Grapevine Podcast? Since The Grapevine is self-supporting, we don't sell ad space in our magazines, on our website, or even on our podcast. Grapevine doesn't even accept contributions from AA members. What? If you want to support the podcast, visit aagrapevine.org and click on store. My sobriety date is August 28th, 2005. I have a sponsor and my sponsor has a sponsor and I have a couple of home groups and it's great to be here. Thanks so much. Thanks so much for joining us. Welcome, Maggie. Do you have a favorite acronym? Oh, wow. Ooh, I was thinking um, one that I heard recently, DDGTM. DDGTM. Okay. 
don't drink and go to meetings. That is good. <laughs> that's or ODAT. <laughs> ODAT. That's yeah. a super common one. O D A A T. Yeah. One that's day good. at a time. These are abstract acronyms. <laughs> yeah. And oh, also, hang on, pain ends. Hope. I oh, like that one. that's good. Yeah. But I love that one you mentioned, yet you're eligible to. Yeah. Yeah. That one's pretty powerful. That's useful. Hang on, pain ends. Yeah. So when you came to AA the first time, mm. were you in pain? Oh, my goodness. Well, I came to AA for the first time in 1989, and I was 22 years old. At that time, it seemed to me that everyone was super old and the rooms were very smoky. They used to have a line in the middle of the room and the non-smokers were on one side and the smokers were on the other. And the smoke respected that line, right? It just like the, the smoke immediately stopped there. I remember that. Exactly. Yeah, I was really lost. And in fact, I was just saying in a meeting, the most insane off the charts reckless drinking that I did was actually in my late teens and early 20s before I came in. So yeah, I was in a lot of pain. But yeah, I was super open to the program, grabbed on with both hands. I loved it immediately. I was so happy to be sober. So jump, jumped in, got a sponsor in a home group, but just kind of all in and all in. I went to a meeting seven days a week for four years. Oh, wow. No exaggeration. Yeah, I was like Miss AA. I loved it so much. And I was 22. Um, <laughs> did things change? Yeah. So I stayed sober for seven years. I never stopped loving AA or being sober. But it's an example to me now of how I really do have alcoholism after all, because I really just took the slightest step back from going to meetings. I started going once a week, once every other week. And I always joke that I blame it on uh, alternate side of the street parking in New York City because I had to move my car if I lost my parking spot. You're laughing, so you must know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I didn't want to move my car, so I had to walk to meetings. I was pregnant, and it was the summertime in New York City. So I, they really kind of trailed off. Mm -hmm. I was still like, I still had a sponsor, the whole thing. You know, I had my baby. That's a big change. That's a big change. I had my baby. My husband was Jewish. So we had a bris, but it was just the three of us. And she brought two bottles of wine because I guess it's customary to have a glass of wine. And she did the bris and she poured me a glass of wine and I drank it. And that set you off? That was it. Now, was there a defense there at all? Such a good question. No defense against the first drink. No defense. And like so many stories that you hear, I really feel that the slip began way, 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 way before the alcohol touched my lips. It, what really impresses me to this day, whatever it is, 17 and a half years, is that all I really had to do was stop going to as many meetings. I was still going to meetings. I was just going once a week, once every two weeks, when, sort of whenever I felt like it. Mm -hmm. That's all I had to do. For my thinking to come back, to start thinking, well, maybe I don't really have a problem. Maybe I'm not really an alcoholic. Maybe that was a phase. Well, I went through a hard time. Maybe that was a phase. Mm -hmm. I've heard and that. And now a hard time has passed. Maybe I can have a, a couple of drinks. But in this case, it wasn't even a hard time. No, <laughs> not at all. 
No, it, I don't know what it was. In my mind, there was no defense. So what I have to do on a daily basis is work on my spiritual condition. Being sober for so long and going back out, how long did you drink? Nine years. Nine years. What was going on in your head in terms of Oh my God. AA and drinking and your justification. You know, I would say an F ton of rationalization, seriously. Like my stubbornness and wanting to believe that I was right so much that I hung on to that idea that I must be right for nine years. And the thing is, in order to maintain that idea, I had to be very, very controlled. And I managed to sort of maintain control during that time. But by the time I stopped, well, first of all, I was drinking daily. So when I first started drinking again and I slipped, I wasn't daily because I was nervous. But pretty quickly, I was drinking daily. And pretty quickly, I was drinking about a bottle of wine a day. That's a lot of wine. <laughs> it is. That's but that's really not that much wine. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, really, it's just a glass. <laughs> right, exactly. Like a big glass. <laughs> I always joke that in AA, I'm like considered a lightweight because I only drank a bottle of wine a day for nine years. That was what my drinking was like at the end. I didn't want to be an alcoholic. I had heard about AA. I had two friends in AA. And my wife said, I believe you're an alcoholic. And so I was proving I'm not. And mm -hmm. it was bottled hell for four years of trying to drink a, a bottle a day, hold it to that, you yeah. know, not go over, you know, I'd blow it. But many, many, many days I wouldn't. Yeah. Yeah. So when I finally stopped, it was unwillingly. I was one of the people I did. I wasn't court mandated, but I was mandated by my husband. He said, if you don't get sober, we're going to get a divorce. And at the time, you know, I was financially dependent on my husband. I had three young kids, so I had no options. <laughs> so I went to a meeting, crossed my arms, sat in the back. Nobody could tell me anything. Came late, left early the whole deal. Got a sponsor because I had to, you know, I was like going through the motions. And I did stay sober because I'm not a screw up. <laughs> so, you know, at, at about six years of sobriety, everything really hit the fan. My marriage, which had become increasingly unstable, and I felt frightened in my own home. I was afraid of my husband. He was very threatening. Mm. He had some mental illness. It was undiagnosed at that time. Finally, after many attempts, I was successful in getting him to leave. But I went through a terrible divorce. And I just really leaned on the people in my groups. I mean, I can't even tell you. They saved my life, for sure. If we really jump in. Our fellowship will wrap itself around us like a blanket and take care of us. 100%. And you know, it's interesting. I, I, like looking back, what a brat I was. And they put up with me mm -hmm. and they listened to me and they were still kind to me. And then when things really got shitty, they were like, well, I knew that was going to happen. They didn't do that. They were nice to me. They rescued me. It is not an exaggeration to say that. To make it easier on someone who's listening, yeah. what do you think was going on inside? Where were you not surrendering 
that kept you holding yourself back from AA? That's such a good question. And I'm not sure I totally know. I think Mm -hmm. that I was resentful because I didn't feel like I was done drinking. I hadn't surrendered. And in fact, like after a couple of years, I sort of said, hey, you know, to my sponsor, shouldn't I be doing the fourth step now? Like what's going on? And she said, well, I'm not sure you've done your first step. And I was like, oh, ouch, you know, that really hurt my pride. Talk about that surrender. What are you talking about surrender? I've already mentioned that I was super, super stubborn and like pretty much an expert at rationalization. I really had to be brought to my knees. And a lot of people are blessed by having a very intense emotional um, and sometimes financial and, you know, relational bottom before they get sober. Mm-hmm. I didn't have that. My family was intact. Um, I lived in a beautiful home. I drove a nice car. Everything was great when I got sober. So no wonder I didn't want to stop drinking. It felt to me like there was nothing left. When I finally surrendered at six plus years of sobriety, it's really not an exaggeration to say I was hanging on by a thread. I had three young teenagers, a house that I had absolutely no ability to pay for. I hadn't worked in 15 years. And by the way, I also had three dogs and five cats. So (laughs) my life was totally unmanageable. I went from feeling like, hey, I got it all together. Why are you telling me I can't drink anymore? To, oh my God, I don't know what I'm going to do today. Like, I don't know how I'm going to survive. And the only thing I knew that was going to help me was going to a meeting and talking to other people. And that was it. That was all I had. Is this a time where you learn to ask for help? So, yeah. So that was the other thing. Like, it was so hard for me to pick up the phone. Certainly had no, like, outside fellowship or anything. And in fact, one time I remember we have these group anniversary parties where people bring food and they have a speaker and so on. And so I was standing in the food line before the meeting started and I could hear someone sort of chattering behind me. And they suddenly said, I think she's talking to me. (laughs) It was like the first time because I like, I came late, left early. Like I really held AA at arm's length. And this person was like trying to have a conversation with me. And that is the first time I remember the chink in my armor opening up just a tiny, tiny bit to have a conversation with someone else and ended up, you know, becoming a good friend. But man, it was hard for me to let people in. Mm -hmm. So, you know, sometimes I go to meetings and I hear people say, well, I have six months and it's really hard for me to pick up the phone. I'm like, six months. It was six years before I called anybody. <laughs> Seriously. That's incredible. And what does your recovery look like today? So I'm I'm a meeting maker. <laughs> and I always warn Not a meeting people. taker. <laughs> <laughs> I appear very gentle, I think. But the reality is I always tell people who are looking for a sponsor, I'm hardcore. So <laughs> You seem kind of fierce to me. Oh, really? (laughs) I am fierce. Yeah, I go to a lot of meetings, number one. You know, I do think it's important to work the steps on an ongoing basis. It's not a one and done situation. 
And I'll out myself by saying that I'm overdue for another fourth step. So I have a new sponsor and I'm going to be working on that with her. And I'm excited about that. But the most important thing, I think, is going to a lot of meetings. I go to between four and eight meetings per week. And I have 17 years and nine months. That's a lot of meetings. Mm-hmm. And guess what? It pays off in spades. I have never heard a single person come back from a slip and say, I know what happened. I went to too many meetings. <laughs> never once. No, you're right. Well, you know, the, this voice comes up in the back of my head. It's like, do I really need to go to so many meetings? I've been sober a long time. The answer is yes. <laughs> <laughs> Unless you've got that smart ass sponsor who says, well, I'll tell you what, just cut back one meeting at a time. And then when you get drunk, add one. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> That's good. I like that. It's really essential. And the thing is, I've had to learn as a sponsor to hold my tongue a little bit and allow people to go through the pain of not going to enough meetings and even slipping sometimes. It just never fails. I've seen it a hundred times. The patterns are consistent over time. <laughs> people don't go to meetings and then they go out. It happens. Well, and cutting back on the meetings, it's cutting back on everything. Then it becomes natural to cut back on uh, prayer. I forget to do it. And, you know, and then I forget that I need to be turning it over constantly and forget that I'm not in control of the world. Maggie, is there anything that you haven't gotten to say that you would like to say? You asked like what my recovery looks like. And I also would just say that It took me a long time to realize that I actually had to do the 11th step. And by a long time, I mean like 13, 14 years. 11th step sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. So what does that look like for you today? So it's hard for me to, I, I know a lot of people get up in the morning and pray and wow, I so admire that. And it's just not something that's part of my life. So to help me along, I go to meditation meetings, two to three meditation meetings a week. If I'm being really good, I also remember to meditate once or twice during the week. That has been such a game changer. So I I like to know how other people meditate. Yeah. So I'm like I said, I need a lot of help. So I either need to go to a meditation meeting where they're reading, you know, uh, the Daily Reflections book or one of those books from AA literature, and then they read a reading and they sometimes shut the lights and we all close our eyes and we're all sitting around in a circle. And sometimes I have a meeting where it's seven minutes solid because they don't want to make it any longer. Seven minutes, that's it. So, and then I have another meeting that's 12 and then I have another meeting that's 20. (laughs) I usually focus on some sort of phrase or idea that's helpful, like gratitude Wishing good things for others is a good way for me to meditate. It sort of generates that outward service-oriented energy. Sometimes I ask for help, you know, sometimes I'm praying. And so I'm saying, you know, please take this from me. This is too hard for me. I don't know what my higher power is. Most of the time for me, my higher power is the grace of the meeting itself, I would say. I feel that energy in the meeting 
I really do feel like there's some sort of loving awareness around us that we can tap into. So a new acronym for G-O-D, it's a grace of drunks. Ooh, I love that. (laughs) Inspired by what you just said. (laughs) Fancy. Maggie, this has been a great conversation. Thanks for joining us today. Absolutely. Thank you. So lovely to be here. I really appreciate it. Thank you. It's time for listener feedback. Hey, folks, we want to hear your comments. Call 212-870-3418 or write us at podcast at aagrapevine.org. We have an email from Tori regarding Season 4, Episode 15, Enlarging Our Spiritual Life. Tori writes, Hi, you guys. Thanks for the podcast. I've downloaded this episode and will listen to it often. It was unexpected and hilarious that you speeded up the speech when referencing using speed. A big hearty belly laugh from me on that. I appreciate what you're doing here. Fun and sobriety is vital in my opinion. It keeps me coming back. I'm an alcoholic named Tori. Sobriety date July 19, 1986. It happened one day at a time, just like everyone else with continuous sobriety. I love finding recovery media that discusses the God thing, which I feel is a big reason so many newcomers stop going to meetings. The use of the Our Father to close a meeting, particularly when a first-timer is in attendance, is thoughtless. The we version of the serenity prayer or the responsibility statement is much more encouraging. I, too, was raised Roman Catholic, and when I was young, my questions about it were met with disdain. Several events in my life prompted my decision not to have anything to do with religion or what it was promoting. When finally arriving in AA, I was discouraged to see God in the stepwork on the wall. I didn't think AA would work for me because of that. Luckily for me, the woman I asked to sponsor me told me that in Bill's story, page 12, he said that I could have my own concept of a higher power. What? Wow. This made all the difference. I have found Theravada Buddhism as a great tool for right living for me, as well as having a sponsor, sponsees, going to AA meetings daily, hanging out with sober alcoholics, reading the literature together, and having a fun life. At a meeting earlier this year, a newcomer decided that the GUS, Great Universal Spirit, was her higher power, which delighted so many of us in the room. With best regards, Tori. Tori, thanks for writing. I, too, struggled with the idea of God and the Lord's Prayer when I first came into AA. I actually wrote each sentence of the Lord's Prayer out, translating it into words that meant something to me personally. That was the way I came to terms with it. In AA, everyone has to come to terms with the idea of a higher power and God, if that's what you choose to call it. That's the way we stay sober. I'm glad that you have found the Buddhist tradition works well for you. There are those who feel just as strongly about the Christian tradition, and I respect that. So I'm glad that we leave the decision of what prayer to use at the end of the meeting and before the meeting up to each individual group to decide. Again, thanks for writing. Tori, thank you so much for your email. I really appreciate what you're saying. And I, too, I have had sensitive ears when it comes to hearing the uh, the Lord's Prayer close a meeting. It doesn't bother me like it used to, but I absolutely can hear it with newcomers' ears and see how that can be an issue. What I learned in AA in Greensboro, North Carolina, where I grew up in AA, 
let's close the meeting with such and such prayer or the prayer of your choice in silence. And I am really good at doing a prayer in silence. Thanks again, Tori. Really appreciate you writing in. You can give a gift subscription of Grapevine or Lavinia. Grapevine has a long waiting list of incarcerated members who want one. Get your group, district, area, or AA friends to join in. It's easy. Go to aagrapevine.org and look for Carry the Message at the top of the site. I'm at the very wit's end. This is a historic wit's end from July 1945, the way we heard it. His wife had been doing a great deal of talking about this AA thing. Morning, noon, and night, she had been digging at him. He wasn't at all sure that he needed or wanted any part of it. In fact, for a moment, he had heard enough about it. So he went out to the garage. Cashed inside was a bottle. Just outside was a bench in the sun. A perfect combination for peace and quiet. Seated on the bench... He tilted his head back for a long one. Just then, a plane passed overhead in line with his upturned eyes. On the wings of the big liner, he saw printed in large letters, A.A. Cripes! If they're going to go to all that trouble to get me, I might as well just give up now. <laughs> it's really not that funny. Thanks for joining us. The AA Grapevine Half Hour Variety Hour is posted every Monday and is produced by AA Grapevine Inc. We don't speak for AA as a whole. We share the experience, strength, and hope of members to help others recover from alcoholism. Podcast info, including how to call in, is at aagrapevine.org slash podcast. Find AA Grapevine on Instagram and the AA Grapevine channel on YouTube. All things Grapevine are available at aagrapevine.org. If you want to know more about AA, Google Alcoholics Anonymous and your city or visit aa.org.